Proverbs chapter 7 could almost be the original screenplay of the film, The Graduate, with Dustin Hoffman and Anne uh, Bancroft. Those of you will remember the film, those who are old enough. Simon and Garfunkel wrote uh, a song, the soundtrack for the film, and uh, the song Mrs. Robinson is all about an encounter just like this. It's the story of a foolish young man being ensnared by a married woman. Sexual purity is a massive issue in our society, but this passage contains broader principles that can help us stay pure in our walk before God, can help us stay pure in our love and devotion to God. And so I want to encourage you this morning that God has something to say to each one of us, whether you be young or whether you be old. And the first thing I want us to focus on this is, uh, uh, the first point is called the truth of the matter. We need to understand what the truth really is. It's the truth that sets us free, Jesus says. Last weekend I was reading uh, in the newspaper uh, a story of ISIS and about uh, those people who have been held hostage uh, by ISIS. Um, I think it was in Syria. And uh, they played a terrible trick on them. They told them that they were about to be released, they were about to be taken to the Turkish border, that they were about to be set free, and it wasn't true. Raised their hopes and then crushed, crushed them. Terrible thing to do. It was a cruel and callous thing to do. And a number of them were, were killed. And the world around us peddles a message that God is just like that. He's a killjoy. He dangles carrots in front of us, but always keeps them just out of reach. The Bible's a list of do's and don'ts. It's all about things that you can't do. That somehow God is holding out on you. You know, that's the, been the message of the devil from the very beginning. God is holding out of you. In the Garden of Eden, his, his, his wise and supposed wise words, persuasive words to Eve were this. Did God really say that would really happen? You know, God's holding out on you. You're missing out on the best. If you eat of that apple, you will really understand everything that God is trying to keep you from. It's simply not true. God's way may be a narrow way. It may be a narrow path. It may not be the easiest route for each one of us to take. And yet, God's, following God's way actually is the way to enjoy life to the full. When Jesus came in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life to the full. God wants you to enjoy life. God is the one who created pleasure. God is not wanting to keep you from joy. If you hear nothing else this morning, God is no killjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. That is good news. Peter says this, 
Though you have seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God wants you to be filled with joy. God wants your lives to be filled with joy. Whatever is happening around you, God wants you to know a deep joy in your hearts. And so God's boundaries for us are not because he's mean or because he's holding out on us, but because he knows what's best for us. It's the maker's instructions for life. He knows what's best for us. I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm doing DIY in the house, I've never got the right tools. And so there have been moments where I get my underpowered drill out and I put a drill bit in, and it's the only drill bit I've got, and it's a drill bit that's for wood. And I'm trying to drill a hole into a metal lintel. And uh, I, don't have, I, I don't check the maker's instructions, I don't check what it will drill through. So there I am, and I drill, and it starts off well, it goes through the plaster, and I think, oh, this is going well, and then suddenly it hits a solid object. And so in those moments... I do the thing that we all do. I press harder. As if somehow me pressing this underpowered drill with the wrong drill bit is somehow going to work. And then, when that doesn't work, I shout at it. I shout at it as if that is going to make a difference. The reality is that drill bit will never go through. It wasn't made for that purpose. We've got to follow the maker's instructions if we're going to uh, enjoy life, if we're going to get the most from it. He knows best because he made us. You see, God made us. He made you and me. He made us male and female. He created our desire for excitement and pleasure. He created marriage. God's clear definition of marriage is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. Sex was God's idea. He knows how beautiful it is and yet how powerful it is at the same time. It is more than the act of procreation. The world will tell you that we are just highly evolved animals. We're not. We are created in the image of God. Sex is a beautiful part of God's creation for us, for between a man and a woman in marriage. Sex needs boundaries. And we live in a world of casual sex and the consequent problems and pain. Divorce, broken homes, children growing up only knowing one parent, the sexualization of our children on television. And the best the world can offer us is to try and manage the problems. God's answer is countercultural. God's answer is a narrow way. It's a way you won't find many people these days walking on it. And yet it's the way to life. It's the path of purity. And if we're going to go this way, if we're going to go God's way... The passage reminds us we need to keep his words, his commands, and his teachings, the writer says, as the apple of our eye. 
It means the very pupil of our gaze. That's what the phrase means. You know, when anything untoward comes towards your eye, what's the first thing that you do? You instinctively blink. So if someone throws something at you, you immediately do that. Your eyelids close. They protect your eyes. It's, they protect the most sensitive part. That is how we need to be in these days. Our eyes, we should instinctively, uh, metaphorically, uh, we should blink when stuff, when the enemy throws stuff at us. When we see stuff on the television, our eyes immediately should blink. We should immediately have that reaction to protect our hearts, to guard our hearts. We're told, the writer says, to bind his words on our fingers. The modern day equivalent of that would be the wedding ring. Keep sex for marriage. That's the message of God. We are children of God. What we do with our bodies matters. God dwells in us by his spirit. We have been bought with a price. We belong to God. So let's honor God with our bodies. The truth of the matter is God wants us to love life. God wants you to love life. That's the truth of it. God is not holding out on you. And yet, we have a problem. And I want to talk a bit about the heart of the problem. Someone once said this, that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You will probably have heard that before. When we put our trust in what Jesus has done for us to bring us back into a relationship with the living God, something remarkable happens. God does something in our hearts. He gives us, Ezekiel tells us, he gives us a new heart. We were once dead to God. Our hearts were dead to him. But God does something. When we come to him through Christ, what Jesus has done on the cross, our hearts become alive. God breathes life into us spiritually. Jesus says we are born again. It opens up the ability to live a whole new way, to live a God-centered life, living like Jesus living a life led by the Holy Spirit. And yet what becomes clear as we read this passage, that it is not an easy way. There is temptation out there. There are pressures out there. There are problems that come our way. And this passage highlights some of those problems. And the first is this, that we are easily persuaded. You read this telling phrase in the passage, I saw among the simple. And uh, the simple, it means someone who lacks judgment, someone who is easily persuaded. Someone who doesn't have much of a moral compass. Young people who seem to be red hot for God one day, and then the next minute, totally gone, switched off. Immersed in all sorts of things. Stuff that goes on, stuff that lots of us who are older don't understand. Words like sexting, things like that. Get, uh, young people get caught in them. Students who were an active part of the church that they belong to. And then they come away to university and then immediately they seem to get immersed within moments in the culture of university life. Switched off from God and suddenly they never darken the door of a church. 
people who are seemingly close to God suddenly, seemingly out of the blue, get caught up in an inappropriate relationship, a friendship. Marriages that suddenly fall apart. Everybody's looking on thinking, how on earth did that happen? Men and women caught in the snare of internet pornography. When these happen, these things happen, there is always something wrong at a heart level. They don't just happen. Something happens in the heart. Something's happened in the heart. The writer of the Psalms asked this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? We could change that. How could a man, how can a man and woman, how can we keep our way pure in these days, in the world that we live in, with the pressures that we face? And the answer is this, by living according to your word. We need to set our thoughts on what is pure. Young people, I want to say to you, this passage talks about, it's a father talking to his son. He's saying, my son, listen to what I say. Young people, I want to say, listen to your parents. When my children were growing up, I had lots to say. When my, when my son went away to university, my daughter went away to university, I had lots I wanted to say to them. I said, when you get to university, there are going to be all sorts of pressures. Listen to what I say. This will really help you. Your parents can really help you. Parents, you have a responsibility to speak into your children's lives. I hear too many people say really crass things to their children. As they're going, as they're leaving, if you can't be good, be careful. I mean, I hear people say things like that. We have a responsibility to speak the truth, give our children good advice. I want to tell you, it isn't the church's responsibility to do that. It's ours as parents. This passage encourages parents to speak. Older people, as you look on, some of you, maybe your children have grown up, but you see young people around you, students, people in their early 20s. You've got something to say. We should be listening to one another. We should have open ears for what others say. Don't be easily persuaded. The second thing we see as a, in this problem area of the heart is people drifting away from community. Don't drift away from community. When you see in the natural world, you see a, 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 a nature program of lions hunting, and they're hunting a, a wildebeest, a herd of wildebeest, and the wildebeest all stay together. And the lions are looking for one wildebeest that just pulls away, that drifts away from the herd. And you watch what happens. They then circle them, they, they draw them out, and then, and then they're finished. Once they have pulled away from the crowd, they are finished. What do we see with this young man? This young man was in a crowd. He was with other young men. And then suddenly he becomes isolated. Suddenly he drifts away. Suddenly he pulls away from those around him, other young men. And he's in trouble. There's a story in the book of Deuteronomy about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, they're coming out. And it says about the Amalekites that they picked off the stragglers 
in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And that's what happens in this case. This young man disengages, goes off on his own. Suddenly, he's lost and nobody even notices. Just this one person watching from a window. You know, that's my experience. When people start drifting, when people start pulling away from church, they used to come regularly now, it's intermittent. They used to be part of a small group, but they don't, they don't go anymore. It's always symptomatic that there's something wrong at a heart level. They are in trouble. Maybe this morning, that's you. You've started to drift. You've started to pull away, started to withdraw. In your heart, you're feeling less engaged than you felt before. Let me warn you, don't pull away. Don't disengage. Don't drift away from the community of God's people. Quickly, the third thing is this. Watch where you walk. You notice that this young man, he starts to walk near her corner in the direction of her house. There's something drawing him. He's like a moth drawn to a flame. He's flirting with danger. The thing is, you see, he knows what he's doing. At a heart level, he knows what he's doing. He's flirting. He's playing with danger. He's thinking, it's okay, I just want to see if she's in. I just want to see if she's there. I won't go in. I won't talk to her. I just want to see. Just want to. And he walks closer and closer and closer. He is deliberately setting his course. The Bible is full of examples of that. You read in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 13 and 14, you read of a young man called Lot and his uncle Abraham, and they're together, they're they're a big family. They're a family who love God. And uh, they're herds, there's so many, uh, they've got us blessed them so much, they need to separate their herds. And so Abraham says, you can choose where you go. And it says that Lot looked up and he saw the well-watered plains of the valley uh, right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah had a terrible reputation, even in their day. And it says Lot saw, he saw something. And in his heart, he felt the pull. And he said, I'll, go and I'll take the plane. And it says that he moved and he settled his tents near Sodom. And then as the stories, those two chapters unfold, you see that the next you read of him, he's actually living in the city. The next you read of him, he's enmeshed in the life of the city. It's an easy, easy route. It's the age-old route that people take. They drift and they drift closer. They flirt with danger and then suddenly they're enmeshed. Watch where you walk. Are you flirting with danger at the moment? Maybe just flirting on the edge of stuff, edge of websites. Maybe someone in work who's just really friendly, someone of the opposite sex. Maybe someone who's saying stuff, you know, flattering you, and you're, you're just drawn to it. You just think, oh, that's been really nice. They're just being nice. I'm just being a friend. Watch where you walk. And the last thing we see with this, this young man is he walks in the dark. I want to encourage you this morning, walk in the light. The writer emphasizes it's twilight. It's just starting to get dark. There's a promise of anonymity. No one's going to see what he's doing. 
No one can see what he's up to. Paul calls these the, the fruitless deeds of darkness. Somehow we think if we're not seen, it's going to be okay. Yet there is someone who sees. The window we read about in Proverbs chapter 7 is the most extraordinary window. You can see in the dark. You can see round corners. You can see into hearts. See, the truth is this. God sees. God sees what's going on in heart. He sees your battles. He sees your struggles. He knows. He understands. God says to you, walk in the light. You can't hide what's going on in your heart from God. You can't avoid anonymity. And so I want to encourage you this morning, find someone that you can be accountable to. If you're battling and struggling, find someone that you can talk to. Maybe someone older, maybe your parents. Don't be afraid to talk to your parents. Walk in the light. The third thing we see is this. We see we have an enemy who is clever and calculating. We see the song of the sirens. I don't know if you know anything about Greek mythology, but the sirens in Greek mythology had the most amazing voices. They were demonic creatures that were like cannibals, and they lured people onto their island by singing this beautiful song that won their hearts, and they drew people in before destroying them. That's what the enemy is like. He sings a song that is so subtle, so alluring, so enchanting, so draws you in, sounds so beautiful, promises so much, and yet at the end it's devastating. You see, temptation is no accident. The devil is described as a tempter, an enemy who deliberately seeks to lure us in. He knows our weaknesses and plays on them. Listen to the language the writer of Proverbs chapter 7 uses. He talks about crafty intent. The devil is, craft, is crafty. There's intent about what he's doing. He's out to ensnare you. He hates you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he hates you and wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin relationships. He wants to ruin your future. He wants to destroy, he'll destroy you if he can. He has crafty intent. This woman was loud and defiant. The devil's defiant. He defies God and God's word. It's no wonder the world around us mocks what God says. There's an enemy behind what the world is saying. An enemy who is defiantly standing against God. He's lurking, just like this woman. This woman took hold of this young man. The devil will want to take hold of us and draw us in with persuasive words. He wants to seduce us with his smooth talk. You see, this young lad flirts with danger and thinks he's okay, but he is no match for this temptress. He is like an ox going to the slaughter, we're told. Don't think you can play with fire and get away with it. Don't think you can play with fire. Listen to what this woman says. Listen to the song of the sirens. I came out to meet you. 
I came out to meet you. Each one of us have a need to be needed. We want people to want us. We heard from Anne this morning talking about that longing to be loved, that desire inside us, that, that hole that many of us have in our lives that need to be needed. She says, I came looking for you. Oh, that feels so good. Someone wants me. Someone likes me. So many people come from broken homes where they don't know the, the real love of a father. And when someone comes, oh, I think you're nice. I love you. I'll love you. And we can want to fill that gap in our lives. The tempter comes and says, I can fill it. I know what will fill it. Let me encourage you, find your satisfaction in God. If you're single here this morning, that is such a huge battleground. But I want to tell you this morning, God is more than enough for you. Only God can truly fill that gap in your life. You feel Actually, God has good things. God wants to bless you. God has a life for you that is fulfilled and full of joy and full of blessing. Don't fall for the tempter's lies. Listen to the next verse, if you like, of the song. Let's drink deep of love, she says. The pursuit of pleasure is one of the captivating songs of our day. It's the song of every generation. When Coleridge wrote his, his famous poem, Kubla Khan, in it, there's a, uh, it starts off, in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree. And he writes, it's all about the pleasures of this world. In the 80s, some of you will remember the band Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Their album was called Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. And on it were songs like Relax, The Power of Love. It was all about, if you see the album cover, it's all about pleasure, fulfilling pleasure. And the world will tell you, come on, let's drink deep of love. The temptress teases his senses. It's, it's hearing, I was looking for you. There's a touch, the sense of touch. She kisses him, draws him in, taste. Come and taste. I've got this beautiful banquet at home for you to enjoy. Oh, you will, I tell you, it's such a, you will have such a good time. She dressed seductively, tempted his sight, put on perfume. It's all about the senses. It's all about how we feel. The devil will draw you in and say, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. It's the lie of the ages. It's the song of the sirens. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about following Christ. The gospel is about putting others before ourselves, putting others' needs first. It's about taking up our cross daily. It's about dying to ourself. The gospel is about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Love is not selfless. Love is selfless, not selfish. Finally, the last stanza of the song, my husband is not at home. We won't get caught. It'll be okay. Let me tell you, oh yes, you will. 
The devil will make sure of it. He may leave it for years before you get caught. But I want to tell you the trap is set. If you walk into it, one day it will close. You will get caught. How do we avoid this seductive song of temptation? How do we avoid the song of the sirens? There's only one answer. It's this, the path of the pure. Sam Storms in his book, Pleasures Evermore, tells the story of the sirens in this way, he, and he draws out the point that I want to draw out this morning. He says this, that in Greek mythology, there was a guy called Odysseus, Ulysses, and uh, he'd gone away to the Trojan Wars, and uh, he was coming back, and as he was traveling back to Ithaca, he passes by the Sirens Island. He wants to hear their song there. He wants to hear what it's like. He's heard about it. And so what he does is he tells his men, he says, I want you to tie me to the mast. And he gets them to put wax in their ears so they can't hear anything. And so he, as they go past the island, he is enchanted in trance. His heart is lost to the song of the sirens, this song of temptation. But he can't do anything because he's tied to the mass. But his heart is lost. That's how we are like sometimes. We, we just try to keep a list of rules and regulations. I won't do anything. There's a list of do's and don'ts. But our heart is gone at a heart level. The heart is lost. The problem of the heart. And later, there's a story in, uh, of Jason and the Argonauts. But Jason has a different way of dealing with the sirens. As they pass the island of the sirens and this beautiful music starts to play, he gets Orpheus. Orpheus is the greatest musician of his day and Orpheus, Orpheus starts to play his life. He plays the most beautiful music and his music is so beautiful that it captivates the, uh, 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 captivates the sailors. None of them uh, listen to the song of the sirens at all. It sounds harsh by comparison. You see, there is a greater song. The power of temptation can only be truly displaced by an overwhelming love for God. If you want to overcome temptation, if you want to go God's way, then the answer is be overwhelmed with love for Christ. The Puritan writer Thomas Chambers calls it the expulsive power of of a new affection. He says this. This was written centuries ago. This is what he said. It's old language, but listen to it. Neither they nor anyone else can dispossess the heart of an old affection, but by the expulsive power of a new one, and that the new affection be the love of God. Only an affection that's won your heart can only be displaced by a greater affection. God wants you to love Jesus Christ to the max. He wants you to be so enamored, so in love with him, that the call of this world has no pull on you. You just don't hear it anymore because you are so enamored with Jesus Christ. Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
God wants us to be so in love with his son, so full of love for Jesus Christ. He wants him to be the center of our hearts, the center of our hearts, affections. If we're going to flee temptation, it's because Jesus Christ rules in our hearts. As we draw to a close this morning, I want to provoke you to love Jesus Christ. I want to provoke you to love him with all your hearts. Love him through your teenage years. Love him through into your 20s and into your 30s and into your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. Love him all your days. Give your life to him. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, do it this morning. Run to him. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you think, Steve, you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know what I've done. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I feel I've been so easily persuaded. I've been so dull. I've so listened to my own voice and I've not listened to others and I've done things I wish I hadn't. Maybe you feel that you've been drifting this morning. Maybe you feel that you've been drifting away. You're here, but actually in your heart you've drifted. Drifting away from community, drifting away from the church. Maybe you've been careless about, you, about where you've been walking. Maybe you know you've been flirting with danger. Maybe you know what's been happening when no one else sees. On your iPhone, on your iPad, at the computer, no one else is around. They can't see what you've been looking at. Maybe you've been entranced by the song of the sirens. Maybe you've been drawn in and fooled. If you have, there is a way out. There is a way. God says it's very simple. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. You just need to come to say, Jesus, I've made a mistake. God, help me. And God will come by his spirit and break in. You will know forgiveness. You can put it right this morning, right here, right now. In a moment, the the musicians are going to come. We're going to just worship God. But I want to tell you about a guy in the 4th and 5th century, a guy called Augustine. He summed this up beautifully. He was a young man. He did everything. He lived life to the full. He got involved in all sorts of stuff, all sorts of sin. He, he lived a wild, wild life. And then in his later years, he came to Christ. And this is what he said. This is how he summed it up. And I want you to listen to this. Late have I loved you. He was an older in years. Late have I loved you, beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you. And see, you were within. I was in the external world and sought you there. And in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely things which you made. You were with me and I wasn't with you. The lovely things kept me far from you. Though if they did not have their existence in you, they would have no existence at all. 
You called and cried out and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant and I drew my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me and I am set on fire to attain the peace that is yours. He played with the world. And then he found Jesus Christ. And the love for Jesus Christ dispelled, dispelled the hunger for anything else. Only Jesus Christ would satisfy. I want to tell you this morning, he is more than enough. He is more than enough for you. For now, for tomorrow, forever.